Uh, take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It's one of the smaller ones. You're going to find it right after Ephesians. So you got Galatians, for instance, Corinthians, and then you got Galatians, Ephesians, and then you'll find Philippians tucked in there in those little smaller epistles written by the Apostle Paul. But a powerful one it is, known as the Epistle of Joy, the joy of the church at Philippi, uh, of all the churches that Paul wrote about, the one that he had so much good to say about was this church. Apostle Paul was constantly a man that was being hounded by the Pharisees and the scribes, as was the Lord Jesus Christ, and a man that was constantly being beaten and, and imprisoned, and it's just the resume of things that happened to him. We do see a small piece here where Paul is warning them and then he gives them his resume prior to coming to Christ. I'll start reading at verse number one in chapter three in the book of Philippians. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, it indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now he's going to give him his resume. These folks have undermined him and tried to um, make him like, like he was a false teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he's given them his resume in verse number three. For we are the circumcision. The circumcision speaking here is Jews. So the, the uncircumcised were the Gentiles and the circumcision is the Jew. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ were the Jews, he's speaking of them, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. See the next two words? I'm more. I'm more. These men have tried to use their credentials to, to give them uh, some notoriety within the community and let them know that they were the muckety-muck and they were the ones that knew the truth in Apostle Paul and the gospel. And uh, him in Jesus Christ alone for salvation was, was not the right way. And Paul, even in this context, he tells the Philippian church here, he's giving them because they're, they're being tested. He speaks of the dogs and beware the evil workers that have said, well, we're the ones that are really of the truth. We're the ones that really know. We're the ones that really understand. So Apostle Paul does what he does not like doing. I know this from other passages. He doesn't like to sh use his resume in order to make a point, but if he is forced to, he will. This such is the case here. For we are the circumcision, verse three, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. You understand that? Though I, he's speaking of himself, also might have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust, trust in the flesh. He says, I'm more. You think you got a resume? Mine's better than yours because it was. Apostle Paul circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the highest level. The Pharisees were highly admired and they were put on a pedestal because they, they were the Pharisees. Now, we hear the word Pharisee, and we think of somebody that's a hypocrite. But the Pharisees of the Bible were people that were just the elite religious leaders. 
And so he's speaking of himself here as an elite religious, and he says, a Pharisee, uh, um, verse 5, if you see there, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Apostle Paul was handpicked to persecute the church, and he was very zealous of it. Now he's come to Christ. But concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. You see that next word? Blameless. He said, when, it was, when, when I was under law and I was, I was living the Jewish life, I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was, I was a Pharisee. And as touching the law, I was blameless. The law is very difficult, as we know. No one can keep it. But Apostle Paul says here, I was blameless. And that the rituals of the law, he kept them vigorously. He was a man that, that was true to the law and obeyed the law knew the law, was trained in the law by Gamaliel. He was a highly educated man. Concerning zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Verse 5 and verse 6. He says, I count it but dung that I might win Christ. What I was as a Pharisee, what I was as touching the law, what I was as blameless, what I was was the elite guy that they chose to hunt down the Christians. I have no doubt that Apostle Paul was the poster boy of the Pharisees and of that whole group. He was highly respected. But he says, I count that all of those things, I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and being found in him. Verse 9, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Simply there, when he speaks of being apprehended, that thing that he was called to, he says, I follow after it. For I'm apprehended, I've been called by Christ Jesus. I want you to look this morning, though, at your Bible, the verse that I want to start with here, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Father, bless now this message to thy honor and glory. Please, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning... I want you to cause to see the phrase that I may know him. Number one, that I may know him. First thing that you need to know about Jesus Christ is you need to make him your savior. And know the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks in verse number nine. And being found in him. That's in Jesus Christ. Him is Christ. And being found in him. The next phrase. Not having mine own righteousness. He just gave a resume. But he said, I don't have any righteousness. 
which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. What's the righteousness that he's received? It's the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The first phrase there says, and being found in him, I won't take the time of, I was going to have you turn to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, you'll find in chapter 1, all through that chapter, you're going to find the phrase, I would dare say, in him or in Christ. You're going to find that phrase, I would suppose, 10 times on one page of the Bible. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. And he speaks of that phrase, in Christ, in this passage. You think, Pastor, what's that mean? It means that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and the Bible says that I have been placed in Christ. When we think of a church, we call it the church. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. We are his members. That's what we call members. We're members of a body, the church. And we find ourselves in Christ. How do we get in Christ? What he says here, not having, in verse 9, and being found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. He said, what's the law? In other words, the things that you know of that are rights and wrongs, things that you think are good. Specifically, the law is speaking of the Old Testament law given to the Jew. But in our vernacular, the things that we know are the right and wrongs. And you're saying, he said, I kept all those things. But he says, that didn't make me righteous. I was still a sinner. He said, not having my own righteousness in spite of my resume. I've got, I, my dad's a pastor. I'm a pastor. I got a son that's a pastor. Dylan's assistant pastor. So what am I? I'm a sinner. That's just what it is. He's just saying, it doesn't matter what your resume is. And, and you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, sorry, but I'm just kind of a regular person, okay. I, I spent my life being a regular person. Versus some of you are irregular people. I'm joking. Lost my place. Found in him, verse 9. Verse 10. That I may know him. Of course, it goes on there. We'll get there maybe tonight. We might only get to I know him this morning. That I may know him. Number one, that you may know him as Savior, found not in your own righteousness of how good you are, but found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to God. Being found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, but the righteousness which is in Christ. That is the only righteousness that's going to get you to heaven. You know why? Because the righteousness of Christ is perfection. He never sinned. The righteousness that we get from Christ is that our sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect, holy blood. The picture of the Lamb of the Old Testament being sacrificed temporarily for the sins of the people is no longer temporary. It is the sinless Son of God that would come and take away the sins of the world that he bore on his own body. And we have this possibility to hear this gospel and to say, I want to trust that Savior. And the moment you say, Jesus, I trust you in faith, believing that you are indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the virgin born of Mary, I believe that. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins as a sinless Savior. 
and I'm trusting in your sinlessness as the son of God. I'm trusting in you. And I'm being found in Christ, the sinless sacrifice that paid our price. We're not going to hell to pay for our sins because he paid for it on the cross and then he rose again, the Bible says. Believing those things, we put our faith wholly in one thing, in Christ alone. It's not Christ and. Well, but Pastor, I'm, I'm a good person. You know what? I would hope that we are good people that go to Gospel Light Baptist Church. But you got to be in Christ. We can fill this place with good people and we can all die holding hands and go to hell together. If we're not in Christ. And so in Christ is where salvation is found. And to know him, first of all, you've got to start with knowing him as your Savior. I don't think that's what he's speaking about specifically in this passage. However, though, it's absolutely true of the Bible. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may know him. There's a lot more to just knowing of Christ than it is just knowing him as your Savior. That is the first step of Christianity. That is the thing that takes you from being lost to being saved to make you from a non-Christian to a Christian. A lot of people say, well, we're of the Christian faith. But is your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the, that's the question. Have you trusted him as your Savior? Is your faith in him or is your faith in him and your church and your good works and fill in the blank of all the things that go around that you think may be something that saves you? There's only one thing. To know him is to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and faith alone in him. But this, I believe, is talking about something more than that. Not just that, but more than that, that I may know him as Lord and friend. I've been blessed in my life with many friends. I've just had a lot of Christian friends over my lifetime and, and I have so many dear friends. And I count delighted a delight to have Christian friends. People that I know in a church even of this size and in larger churches I knew, I knew a lot of people but there was a smaller group of people that I was really close friends with the church was in several thousand people so I wasn't close friends right with everybody there was a much smaller group that's predominantly made up of our Sunday school class of people our age bracket and we got into when we were young and we grew well some of them grew older and um, then some you know like myself uh, you know, stayed youthful. But you know what? It was, it was a close, I had close relationship with dear friends. Close relationships here in this church. We got, we got just a great group of people. If you're new here, this is, this is a wonderful group. And so what happens is we, we know each other well because it is a smaller group and we have close relationships with one another. When I look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you know him as Savior. Maybe you join the church and you come in and, excuse me, you come in and you perhaps, uh, maybe you're just kind of a, a shy person or all kinds of different personalities, but you stay to yourself just a bit and, and you kind of like it that way. And that's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's different, right? I, I like to be around people. But, you know, sometimes people, they, they, they come and go. They love church. They love the church people. And there's, 
and there's all kinds of different people in a church, and there's some that you get to know better than others. And so sometimes you make a close friend in church, and you get to know them. I had some friends in church that are some dear friends of my life. Can I tell you something this morning? Do you want to know Christ more than just a casual relationship? Number one, you're going to have to pursue him. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Pursue God. Pursue him. Do you want to know him? You're going to have to spend time with him. You're going to have to pursue him. Had the opportunity to go back and be with some of my children for the holiday and delight in the time to be with them. And they're dear to me. I know them well. And then there was Clinton, our, our third son. Clinton couldn't respond in any way. There was, no, there was no response from Clinton. It wasn't his injury so much, folks. It was just that I couldn't know him. I couldn't know him. We could care for him. We could love him with all our hearts. We could do all these things, but we never got, we knew him as up to two years old, as a, such a delightful child. But as an adult, I, I, I think it grew older. I, I, I couldn't know him. And because I, I couldn't know him, because I couldn't communicate with him, I could love him, but I couldn't know him. You're going to have to put yourself forward and reach out to God. He's waiting for you, and he wants you to know him. Salvation is wonderful. Come to know him as your Savior. Don't go to hell, please. Know him, though, beyond salvation. Come to know him in a much more intimate way as not just the Savior. That's the most important detail of your entire existence in this world and life is to know him as Savior. But you can take it so much farther than that. You can come to know him as Lord and where you desire the Lord Jesus Christ to be in control of your life and you're following after the Lord. You can go much more than just knowing him as Savior. You can make him Lord. You can give him control. You can follow him. You could study his word. You can come to know his word. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. We have to go sometimes, drive a long way to draw nigh to our sons that are in a different state. And many of you older, older, or older than me uh, folks have to do the same thing. And so what do we do? We go there. Why? Because we want to have that relationship. We want to spend time. We want to be engaged with them. So we go to great effort, honestly, now, great expense, right, to get in the car and drive to Indiana. Cost you probably 100 I think it's probably 100 bucks to go both ways, maybe a little more than that. So it's a little costly. But we make the effort to pursue after our children and to spend time and to stay close to them. And it requires some effort to do that. Are you willing to make the effort to draw close to God, draw nigh to him, to come to know him? On Wednesday nights, we've been studying Psalm 119, and the David 
is speaking in, in so many, the, in, and has written the chapters of this lengthy, lengthy chapter in Psalm, the longest book in the Bible. And we find that there is a constant, constant, constant diving into the Word of God for every challenge, every need, every joy, every pain, every enemy, every friend. It is a constant reaching out to God. A man after God's own heart. We say that and then we also understand that if you break that down a little slower, it's a man literally after God's heart. He wanted the heart of God and we see in the Psalms literally the heart of God coming through the pen of this man David. He wanted to know God. He knew God. He was after the heart of God. He pursued God and he knew him. But you won't do it casually. You'll do it on purpose. You'll be in this Bible on purpose. You'll stare at its pages and think, I have no idea what I just read. How many times? You're thinking to myself, how did I just read that whole chapter and I have no idea what I just read? Oh, well. Cool. I, I, to, to read a chapter a day or, or many chapters in a day, I, I totally agree with and do it and but take some time to slow down on a couple of verses. Slow it down and walk away with some understanding. And I'm not diminishing or telling you not to read a couple chapters or whatever you do in your normal devotions. You read, read some Bible. Keep doing that. But focus in. Walk away with some understanding from the Bible for your day. Not just having read it. I don't know about you, but I can read a whole chapter and walk out the door and, boy, hold a gun to my head and tell me what I read. You'd have to blow me away. I, I, sometimes I would tell you, I have no idea. I, I just read the chapter. Sometimes our mind is distracted. Sometimes we're in a hurry. You know, maybe it's better for you to, to put something in your stereo and listen to some scriptures that you're focusing on on your way to work while you're driving. Maybe you do both. But don't, don't go away with nothing from the word of God. You want to come to know this God, and you're going to know him through his word. But if we casually read it, we're not, we're not really knowing. I'm looking around to see if my wife's in here. I don't see her. She's in the nursery. Okay, perfect. Don't tell her this, okay? Sometimes she's talking, Jimmy. I know you don't do this, Jimmy. But sometimes when she's done telling me something, I, I, I wasn't paying close enough attention to know what she said. I was distracted, and I wasn't paying attention. And she'll ask me something about what she said, and I'm thinking, remind me of that again. <laughs> and I'm not doing it with intent. I'm not trying to ignore her. I, I love being with her. But, but some, I know none of, you, none of you other guys do this, right? But sometimes we just don't pick up on what they said. And sometimes nestled in there was something that was vitally important. How many guys have ever had that happen? Oh, man. We got to have an altar call for liars in the room today. <laughs> my, my, my. <laughs> it's because you're sitting with your wife. You don't want to admit it. Okay, I get that. Sorry, my wife's out of the room. But, but you understand what I mean. 
we want to have a relationship with God, but we're not paying good attention to when we're when we're getting him time, we're not paying good attention to it. We're not getting to know him that way. To get to know him, we're gonna to have to focus in and we're gonna to have to pay attention to what he's saying to us in his word and say, Oh, I get it. Wow, I can I can meditate on this. I understand it, or I can meditate on it and understand it more. Are you working at coming to know? God, knowing and understanding his word. John 1, the very first verse of the book of John, obviously, in the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus Christ. The path to a relationship with Christ, with God, is his word. Philippians 3.12, not as though I had already attained, or were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I was also apprehended in Christ. Paul says, even as the apostle, even as of somebody with a great resume, he says, I haven't attained. He's trying to learn more of Christ. He's trying to draw closer to Christ. The path is his word. Secondly, I would tell you the path is not only his word, but his path is prayer. It's a difficult thing sometimes to pray because our minds are so distracted. Sometimes we're tired. How many have been kneeling at your spot and then find yourself going to sleep while you're praying? And, and, and you wake up, oh Lord, forgive me. Sometimes we're praying and we're even not really paying good attention to that. It just we're not really focused. Our heart's really not in it. We're praying, we're going through a list perhaps, good thing to do but we're just praying through a list half-heartedly. The Lord hears the earnest prayers. We need to come to the Lord earnestly looking at his word and applying our word. Why? Because I want to know him. When I speak to him and I'm pouring out my heart, are you pouring out your heart to him? Are you bringing your sins to him and admitting them? You say, well, Pastor, admitting my sins is tough. It'll get easier if you'll do it. It'll get easier. But when you don't know him, it's hard to come to him and come for forgiveness because you don't know him. So coming to the Lord in prayer, but staying in the word and then coming to him in prayer, that you may know him, that you may know the power, the Bible says, of his resurrection, the resurrection power. Speak a little more on that tonight. This morning, though, I just want you to focus on one thing, that I may know him. I say one thing, two things. Do you know him as Savior? And number two, do you know him as friend? Do you know him as Lord? Or is it just Savior? Maybe you've been saved for a long time. You say, Pastor, I get all that. Do you know him as Lord? Do you know him as Savior? I mean, do you have Savior, Lord, and friend? Moses was called the friend of God. Boy, I want to be a friend of God. Say, Pastor, do you fail? Not yet. Of course I fail. Apostle Paul says, not as though it are apprehended for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We all fail. Many years ago, Dr. Hiles was just brutally attacked. Fundamentalism has never been the same. It's split then and it's never, it's never, it's never resurrected. I was a young 24-year-old deacon at the time. 
and uh, my mailbox, I want to say pounded, but I receive stuff often from the sayers of my pastor. And I got stuff just all the time because somebody had given away the deacon's list. And, you know, the criticisms. And it was an amazing thing to me. It's like, it's amazing how you can just find those criticisms. He was a man of God. And in some ways, his legacy, his reputation was permanently destroyed. Paul says, I haven't apprehended. You know, as a young deacon, I looked at that list, and I realized something. Many of these are true. Not all, but many of them were. You understand, Paul says, I have not apprehended. Paul says, I'm not there yet. I don't care who you are, Christian. You have not apprehended. You need to know God better. We need to walk with God more. We need to stay faithful because we have not apprehended. You can take the greatest pastor, and many considered him at his, in his day, one of the greatest pastors in the country, largest Sunday school in the world. A movement was demolished over people digging up what they could about Dr. Hiles. Did irreparable damage that we have never come back from. None have apprehended. We're all in a stage of walking and growing and becoming closer to Christ. Join Christians in that. Become that person who is growing and is going forward in faith. Be that person. We're not apprehended. Apostle Paul says that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and be made conformable. Then he goes on to say, and not as though it was apprehended. You're sitting in your pew this morning. You say, Pastor, I haven't apprehended. No, we haven't. And we won't until we get to heaven. We'll arrive there and we'll arrive at perfection. But until then, our life is coming to know him as Savior. Most important this morning, do that. Number two, come to know him in your life as Lord and you're following after the Lord. Number three, follow him in a prayer life that you are talking to God it's what we do. Nobody ever apprehends. Amen? Amen. Nobody ever apprehends till we see him. But until then, know him as Savior. Christians come follow him, pursue after him, know him as Lord. Not as though we had apprehended, neither were all very perfect. But then he says what? I press towards the mark. Stay after it. Stay faithful. Go forward for Christ. I don't know where you fall in the mix this morning, but you fall somewhere. Either you don't know him, or two, you're in a stage of trying to apprehend, and you're going forward for Christ in his word and in prayer. That is, that is where we are as believers, in a constant state of moving forward. I've had the opportunity of knowing pastors that were of some success. I don't, I don't know how I got to know them, but just their past cross. It's a wonderful, wonderful work that the men of God are doing in our country. Wonderful. Some good men out there pastoring churches trying to reach the world for Christ. 
let's be those people that come to be know and follow Jesus Christ as believers. I don't know what God's doing in your heart today. We have an altar. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to come to know him as Savior, first of all. Also, if you know him as Savior and you need some paying attention to the word, giving heed to prayer, you need to come to the altar and give those things to the Lord so that you can be moving forward. We're not going to come, as Paul said, neither were I already perfect. We're not going to be there. We are people that are made of clay. And we all fall into that category. Let's all stand together. If you don't know Christ, let me meet you at the altar down here. Just a moment, we'll have the song sung. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. This morning, I ask you, congregation, do you know Christ as Savior? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. You say, this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure. I don't recall that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I put my faith in him alone. I've got, I believe in him, but I, I've never put my faith in him and trust him alone. I know who he is, but I don't, I don't know him as Savior. Would you just slip your hand up? You've never trusted Christ as Savior. Anybody like that in the room? We'll have our invitation sung. Just in a moment, if you just do some business with God, in a moment the altar will be open, music will begin. But right now, just where you're at in the quietness of the room, would you do some business with God?